0: Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. In this episode of Can't Find My Way Home, I was joined by Mark Mulholland. Mark, like myself, was originally from Glasgow and has lived in France, Ireland, Germany, Haiti, Mali, and now calls Paris home. Mark takes us through busking his way around Europe in the late 1980s and early 1990s, where he discovered that if you could generate enough money to eat and get a bottle of wine, then there were plenty of good times to be had on the road. After several years of being permanently transient and of no real fixed abode, Mark settled in Berlin. In fact, what started out as a three-week trip to play some shows and catch up with friends turned into a 14-year stay. There's also the second-hand bookshop that he ran for 10 years or so in the city. More of that in the episode. He recalls how meeting his now-wife led to them relocating to Haiti and then to Mali, where they lived for several years. While living in Haiti, Mark recorded an album with the legendary artist Frank Etienne, and in Mali with Tumani Diabati. He also helped create the Festival Acoustic Bamako, where artists such as Damon Albarn and Oxmo Pacino performed. There's talk of his own band, Two Dollar Bash, how technology has helped with the production process for musicians, recording albums in Bamako and in the Western Scotland for the Albogrio Ensemble project. We talk about the joys of the Scottish weather, of course, producing for the Glitter Beat record label, Mark's forthcoming solo project and why Salvador Dali was right about Perpignan train station being the centre of the universe. Let's get right to it, Mark Mulholland. In Glasgow, that's where I come from, I grew up there
1: and my first expatriation was to Edinburgh, which, as you from West of Scotland will understand... <laughs> it's the dark side of the moon. Spent <laughs> <laughs> a few years there. And uh, then uh, moved, to, uh, moved to France, uh, to Grenoble for a year, where I was nominally studying philosophy, also playing a lot of music, and then kind of fairly randomly bounced around Europe for... The next uh, decade or so, Um, living variously in France, Ireland, Germany, uh, uh, and a fair amount of time just uh, being of of no particular fixed abode and travelling around and uh, busking and staying with friends and, uh, you know... Moving south when the weather got cold. <laughs> okay,
0: <laughs> a certain kind of migration pattern then, aye? Yeah, yeah, aye.
1: When I first discovered that you could generally generate enough money to eat something and buy a bottle of wine by singing songs, then what little appeal that employment might have had uh, evaporated. <laughs> <laughs> So I managed to keep a clean employment (laughs) record for quite a long time. (laughs) It's well done.
0: (laughs) Was there a particular reason, I mean, you you were saying uh, you were uh, in France originally, but was there any particular kind of, uh, you you built up a kind of network of friends and you just kind of travelled to these different European countries through this kind of, you know, a few weeks here or a month there kind of thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was long before internet and mobile phones yeah. and things. So, you'd, you know, you'd, you'd meet somebody and uh, you'd keep in touch frequently via their parents' address because the, the parents tended to, tend to be more uh, uh, stable than uh, any of our friends. <laughs> <laughs> I had a bunch of mates from uh, from Glasgow and uh, other places but uh, and we, we would travel around and say, OK, I'll you know, meet you in... <laughs> You know, meet, meet you in Amsterdam or
0: meet you in in, in Berlin or whatever. I mean, it's fantastically uh, exotic, right? You know, it's just all these kind of names that, well, the, your names do get more exotic, the locations that you've you've lived in and worked in and travelled to and played music in. But yeah, it's, it's a really cool thing to say, I'll meet you in Berlin. It's all about bit James Bond, you know? I remember, you know, being sort of drunk in a bar with mates in, uh, in
1: Edinburgh and Apparently, we decided to meet on the steps of the opera in Paris on the 1st of August. None of us actually remembered that. <laughs> but since everybody else did, we were morally obliged to do it. <laughs> yes, 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 all right. So so, so we did. <laughs> so, so, so hitchhike to Paris and met up on the 1st of August at 3 o'clock on the steps of the opera. In the days before mobile phones... He still managed to meet up I remember meeting up with uh, my pals Joe and Tony we were leaving, you know, we met up in London not having seen each other for six months and then uh, they were heading for Amsterdam I was heading for a festival in France so we got drunk for a few days and decided as a compromise we would go and visit a friend in Gibraltar we we headed over to France and then needed to find a point to reassemble in the south of France so had heard that uh, Salvador Dalí had said that Perpignan train station was the centre of the universe, so we thought, well, if it's good enough for Salvador, <laughs> it's good enough for us. So let's meet at Perpignan train station. So we set set off from Paris, and uh, all ended up splitting up, hitchhiking, and all ended up in Perpignan. But we ended up on opposite sides of the train stations. It took us 36 hours to meet up. <laughs> but we still met up and, uh, and we ended up having a party outside the train station financed by Buskin for about a week. And I have to say that Salvador was possibly not wrong. It did seem like the centre of the universe at the <laughs> Oh,
0: man. What was your next kind of step into something a bit more uh, maybe I don't know if this is the right word but something a bit more stable for the sense of word because we were just talking before we started recording that you were in Berlin for quite a long period of time yeah. but what was was it a, a time to, to settle down I don't want to use that word settle down but you know to, to put down roots somewhere
1: we ended up in Berlin I was on tour with my, uh, my friends Joe Armstrong and Sean Condren we'd met Sean was somebody that I met in Prague uh, there was a great scene in Prague in the early 90s and we there was a whole bunch of people including James James arrived a little bit later James Harris who you interviewed uh, recently but we all met up and swapped songs and we're all still You know, 25 years later, singing each other's songs. Myself and Joe knew each other from Glasgow and Edinburgh, and Sean was uh, somebody that... A fantastic musician from New York who we met in Prague. We decided one drunken evening to form a band in Ireland. (laughs) Which... uh,
0: (laughs) <laughs> Is it like a good idea at the time? You know,
1: it seemed like a good, It seemed like a good idea at the time. And Sean, Sean, Sean uh, was of Irish stock and had an, uh, was was eligible for an Irish passport. So we, myself, Joe, and Sean, moved over to the west of Ireland and uh, started a band. And then we went on a tour, took in about a dozen European countries, and we got as far as Berlin. Uh, m- and myself and joe had lived in berlin a few years before so you know and we'd, we'd mates there and i always kind of knew that we would probably i would probably end up in berlin again at some point so we got as far as berlin on the tour and the van broke down and we were intending to stay for three weeks and in the end it turned for me it turned into 14 years joe's still there sean went back to new york but uh but joe's joe's still in berlin and uh You know, I go over there and play some music with him from time to time and he comes over and meets up with me and other places as well. You know, having spent a number of years being kind of permanently transient, when the van broke down in Berlin... I mean, it broke down, I mean, the sort of vans that musicians can buy. They're questionable at the best of times, eh? Yeah, (laughs) and have a tendency not to be the most reliable. (laughs) So the van had broken down in many other places (laughs) before and we'd always managed to get it working. I mean, I I remember one time uh, uh, that we, we, we drove from Marseille to Avignon and we were just parking the thing. And the last—it was a tight, it was a long van. It was a tight space to get into, and the last—you know—it it took a few manoeuvres to get it into position. And the last one, all of a sudden, the gear stick was no longer attached to anything. <laughs> and it was like, oh shit! Of course, having spent our formative years learning to play the guitar and not learning how <laughs> cars work, none of us were particularly mechanically. <laughs>
0: You just know something's broken and you're holding a thing that was that shouldn't be there.
1: Yeah. And you don't have any money to pay any mechanic because (laughs) Mm. because you were counting on you know, making money in that town to get to the next town. So myself and Sean got underneath the the vehicle, which was of course scalding hot because we'd just driven from three hundred kilometres and very you know, thirty, thirty five degrees. So so we're looking under the thing and it's like, it's like well, that bit looks like it's supposed to be attached to something and that bit looks like it's supposed to be attached to something. <laughs> so, you know, I got one hand on that side and he got one hand on the other side and we managed to get, it was a kind of like ball and socket kind of thing and managed to get them together and it's like, oh, shite. I, what, what? So it was like, Joe, Joe, get us a guitar string. <laughs> Which one? It's like, give us an, an E. or oh, shite, it doesn't fit through the, co- the hole. Like, uh, give us a D. <laughs> so we managed to tie the thing together. and it worked. even you know 15,000 kilometers later when the ca- when the vehicle was finally squashed into a cube, that guitar string was still <laughs> there. Which so it lasted much longer than any guitar strings,
0: particularly on Joe's guitar. Ironically. Like, <laughs> <laughs> eh? I mean, was it an early ball? Was it anything? Was it a particular brand of uh, I have no a slinky? Of maybe you know. Without
1: any particular grounding in auto mechanics, <laughs> they ended up with uh, uh, having you know something you know to hold on the exhaust. A bass string is better.
0: <laughs> You've worked all that. I mean, you should just go on YouTube and do kind of tutorials and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's a kind of alternative travel mode for for when we can get back to doing that for real eh?
1: yeah you know having previously spent uh, quite a number of years you know never staying more than a few months anywhere you get into a kind of routine that you know okay you arrive somewhere and you have you know you meet people and that and you're always kind of programmed to leave again and then after a certain time it changes more to stay somewhere than to move on again because you've just got into the routine of moving on again so by the time we got to Berlin we'd been kind of moving around for so long that it, it kind of was kind of ready just to stop somewhere so and ended up uh, sticking about for as i say initially intending to be 3 weeks ended up uh, staying there for qu- quite a while and uh, with, a, uh, with a friend, uh, an English friend called Alan Garvey, we set up a, 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 a bookshop, a second-hand bookshop because we kind of realised that whenever somebody, there was, there was quite a lot of uh, uh, you know English-speaking expats and German people generally speak pretty good English as well and quite like to read in English, so whenever somebody got a good book it was like, can I get that after you? So like, oh, No, no, well, Anto's first and then Tony's got it next and then uh, like, so, so we kind of realised that there was there, there was a, a kind of need for uh, right. so some supply of literary material. So myself and I set up a bookshop, which was uh, we, we, we ran it for ten years, and also put you know there was there was like concerts and readings and so forth, like once a week. There, there was a, there was one of the rooms that used to be a kitchen where there was a bookshelf where we could take out. A shelf, and that became the bar. But wasn't because we didn't have a license or anything. So, but if the cops came, you could put the shelf back and say, <laughs> you know, what bar? It was kind of like prohibition. <laughs>
0: a bit of artistic license, if you will. Aye,
1: aye. <laughs> and, and was, you know, there was uh, some
0: great times we had there. Right? <laughs> so, the kind of next step in the journey, maybe reading the biography that, that you'd sent me. It just it kind of goes through these places that you, uh, I mean, not just incredibly musically, but, you know, culturally really different and diverse from where you and I both come from. Eh? So Probably the most significant thing in
1: Berlin which led to me leaving was I met my wife, my wife there, a French diplomat who was working at the, the French music export office in Berlin. I met her because I was trying to get, uh, I'd booked a bunch of gigs from mates for, uh, from Marseille, and I thought, well, you know, the French being proud of their culture and all that, there's bound to be some sort of like funding available or something. So I, I randomly phoned up the, the French embassy... And they put me onto the French, Institute, who put me onto the the cultural section, who then put me onto the. Well, so I went, I went, I went through half a dozen eventually, <laughs> and ended up in the, the French Music Export Office. So I explained that I'd organised gigs for my mates from uh, Marseille, and would there be any possibility of some kind of uh, assistance? So we arranged a, an interview, and uh, the, day, the the day of the interview the woman that I'd taken the, the rendezvous with. She was sick, so her boss had to take the uh, the meeting. And we didn't really get on very well at all. They're only on a little associative label, like, and we can only fa- finance things with properly accredited labels and stuff. You know. So the first meeting didn't really go so well. But then she ended up, by a complete coincidence, coming to one of the gigs. A Thursday evening, evening being more conducive to pleasant relations than a Monday morning. And then the next gig was, uh, by complete coincidence, directly in, in, in the same building that she lived in, in my mate's bar, downstairs downstairs from her flat. And then she ended up coming to all the gigs. And uh, uh, six months later, my friend Nico, who's, who played played all the gigs, was like, so did you ever meet that girl again from the, the French music off? It's like, well, actually... We're going out together now. <laughs> uh, and he's like, oh, shite, I thought you liked the band. <laughs> so so after, after that, you know, was, uh, we got together and she uh, she got a job in, in London. I was kind of backwards and forwards between, I was still based in Berlin, but you know, it was kind of like the easy jet set, you know, backwards and forwards between Berlin and London. And then after that, she lived in Paris. So uh, again, backwards and forwards. But then she got offered a job in Haiti. So uh, she asked me, "Was like, would you be interested in going to live in the Caribbean?" And after about eight or nine seconds of reflection, (laughs) I said, "Yes." (laughs) When do we leave? (laughs) Yeah. So we moved to Port-au-Prince in Haiti in uh, uh, 2010, and anyway, I had always travelled, you know, bouncing around randomly around Europe and. uh, I'd done a bunch of tours in the United States and Canada, but I'd never been outside, you know, Europe and North America. Eight months after the the earthquake, yeah, right. So Haiti was completely devastated at the time. So that was a, a, a complete shock and revelation to arrive in, you know, in a, somewhere really completely different. But uh, the, you know, I met so many wonderful people and play, you know, play. Played loads, loads of great music over there and uh, a lot of uh, really interesting encounters.
0: How long were you there for in total then?
1: Four years. Wow, okay.
0: That's quite a yeah. quite a stretch. Yeah. Just as a kind of segue then, Mark, what about like the difference musically? So what would you say your own kind of influences musically were? Because I, I, as I was saying, reading your your bio and stuff, you'll get a whole list of things. A bit like me, you're kind of a bit of... You take inspiration from all sorts of places or your your playlist as it is now is kind of full of all these different sounds and, you know, styles and all that. But was, was that quite an experience for you as well, musically, you know, to kind of stretch your well, legs a wee bit and get into something really different?
1: Yeah. It was a huge uh, challenge, you know, as a musician to... Uh, uh, adapt to completely different sounds and rhythms and uh, melodies and stuff one thing that was uh, i found in both haiti and mali was that you get a lot of people who who arrive in, you know, in, in haiti mali and other places who are, who are there i'm here to learn you know haitian percussion or learn the kora you know in, in mali for example many jabati and Madhu jabati are like this you know seventy-first generation of Cora players there's nothing that I could bring to the the tradition of Cora playing by l- trying to learn the Kora so what what's more interesting is to bring you know that to bring something different and see what you can combine like you get a lot of people that you know, often in kind of you know, barefoot and multicoloured trousers that are, are there, like, oh, I, I want to like learn Haitian percussion. Uh, but the the musicians that I met were a lot more interesting. Well, what do you do? Oh, I play, play, play rock and roll. Uh, oh, well, let's see what we can do together. And that created uh, some quite interesting combinations. Like, you know, in, in, in Haiti, I, I made an album with a guy called Franck Etienne, Who's who's one of the, the greatest poets and painters and writers in uh, in Haiti. He's kind of on on the shortlist for the Nobel Prize in Literature and so forth. I mean, he's, he's now must be eighty two or eighty three now, and we made an album with of of him doing spoken word. It was kind of like rap before before rap was invented. I mean, he was doing rap like in a mixture of Creole and French words that he's invented and uh, and and he'd done a lot of stuff with music before he w- uh, but always with like haitian music so he 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 wanted to get to to, to move away from that and do something different so uh, we did we did an album uh, of uh you know it was kind of folky stuff like but more kind of scottish folky stuff mixed up with rock and roll and stuff with him declaiming poetry over it and then we did we did uh, we actually even did we even even did a gig in Glasgow. With Frank, and we organised an exhibition of Frank and Alistair Gray, who I'm sure <clears throat> you know. Yeah. Also in Haiti, we made, made an album with um, Tony Allen, great uh, Afrobeat drummer, Fela Kuti's drummer, who came over and we made an album with a dozen Haitian percussionists and singers with so a kind of weird mix of uh, Afrobeat, Voodoo, psychedelic, electronica
0: fantastic (laughs) it sounds great
1: i I, I don't think anybody's done that
0: combination (laughs) i was gonna say i think you've kind of cornered the market there (laughs) that's fantastic man. maybe this is the 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 true meaning of maybe what you and i would call rock and roll but uh, music in general kind of breaks through all these barriers or class divisions or language or all of these things that are kind of seen as obstacles but when there's Two, three, or more people in a room, and you just kind of say, "Okay, let's see what happens." Then let's just
1: absolutely. I mean, if, I mean, if if you go in, if you have an open mind, then everything is possible. You know, you can kind of go through life uh, with, uh, you know, sort of tunnel vision, or you can. Often, one does. You know, you're concentrated on uh, the, the things you're doing. You're, you're not open to uh, uh, outside influences. And then there's other times that you are open, and that's when interesting things happen.
0: I guess the other thing as well is maybe being just in that right place at the right time. You know, it's a kind of okay. Well, let's see. Let's see how it goes. You know, it's uh, you know best foot forward and all that. What about Mali then? What was the the connection there? Was this also something related to your wife's work?
1: Yeah, she got a job over there. But when, when she she told me that she had a possibility of a job in in Mali, I was like, "Yep, go for that."
0: <laughs> <laughs> Again, a quick decision.
1: Yeah, yeah. In Mali, the, the, there's such an amazing tradition of music, going back you know a thousand years. I remember uh, meeting uh, Tumani Diabate, who's like the the, the greatest kora player in mali and or in west africa and therefore the world you know i shook his hand he said uh, i believe we have to play together i'd already played a couple of times with his brother Madhu. so i said well it would be a great honor he said okay learn one of my songs and come and play it with me i have a concert next month i was like okay so so he shook my hand he said, "Well, I consider that a contract signed." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, so <laughs> no pressure." <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> so I learned, uh, learned off one of the, the songs on his uh, the album that he did with his son Siddiqui, and uh, showed up at the uh, the gig. It's uh, so, uh, like, okay, yeah, yeah, go cool, go for it. Shortly before the concert, he said, "Oh, we've changed the key." And it's uh, it's it's not in the same time signature, but you'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, I arrive on stage with the uh, three hundred people, and uh, uh, and I'd put it, I'd, I'd, I'd worked something, worked out something in an open tuning, uh, uh, which uh, with a capo, which didn't work with the new uh, times, uh, the, the new tonality. You know, I managed to play something that. Kind of worked, and two men just looking at me with a little, little smile. <laughs> it was, like, was like, "You bastard!" <laughs> but but I kind of got through it, and he was like, "Okay, uh, that was cool." You know, so so then we did lots of things together afterwards. Maybe
0: that was the that was the test eh, you it know? It, We'll see what was, he's what, made was, of this was, kid.
1: It, it was it was a total test. It's like it's like okay, well, see, see how you get out of this one.
0: <laughs> and then
1: we we uh, ended up setting up a festival which we ran for three years myself, myself and Toumani and uh, my wife set up. it was a the Festival Acoustic Bamako and uh, did, did three editions of it with people like Damon Albarn and uh, Oxmo Puccino and Nacho Shadid uh, who came to play at it but uh, but, uh, but I think it was all dependent on passing the test <laughs> yeah, and, and you know and then Toumani then
0: came and you know played on several of my albums thereafter that's great I mean it's um, as we were saying at the beginning there it's these things that you never really think of oh, yeah you, know, no. you can't even yeah you just can't comprehend that it's going to happen or it's going to no, take no. place here you know so yeah when you when you get to the the memoir stage I don't know if that's a, a work in progress but you know you'll have plenty of chapters on these uh, right. these tests shall we call them you know what about your own music
1: mark? Well, my own music. I've always kept the kind of solo side in parallel with every band project that you could possibly have because, as I'm sure you know yourself, bands can be somewhat volatile. <laughs> That's a diplomatic <laughs> way to
0: say
1: it. Yeah, yeah. My wife being a diplomat, I'm kind of versed in that. So, so bands can split up at any moment. So, I've always kept the, the kind of solo Uh, aspect going so you know done a couple of solo albums i've got another one you know and that's nearly finished but uh, i always had lots of different band projects for the the time i was in berlin had a band called two dollar bash that was kind of acoustic country folky stuff with guitars and banjos and mandolins and lots of harmonies and stuff we had uh, for about 10 years i mean and it's still you know, we're all in different countries, but we get together from time to time. Uh, hopefully, we've got a couple of gigs in France and and uh, end, end of June. So kind of everybody, you know, everybody's a songwriter, and we all back up each other's songs. That's a kind of progression from all the people that that, that met up in Prague back in the the early nineties. Otherwise, at the moment, I've got uh, I've been working with a, a bass player and a drummer in Paris. Rock trio kind of thing, um, which was kind of just kind of gaining momentum when the lockdown started, and uh, so it's, it's it's kind of slowed down a bit since then. But we've uh, we've been working on new material, and uh, uh, we've kind of got almost an almo- album's worth of stuff.
0: Um, I mean, you put all this stuff together, like the production and the uh, you know the more technical side of things. Do you do you yeah. take care of that, or you do it as a band?
1: One thing that's uh, really interesting for me is the way that technology has evolved over the last couple of decades. That I mean, back in the, the 90s and early 2000s, I would end up, you know, busking and doing gigs and saving money for six months to be able to spend a day in the studio.
0: Right. And literally, that's what you would get. You'd get your eight hours or something and not a minute yeah. more, eh?
1: I remember uh, there was an album that we did in the the mid-90s where it was our mate a a great Australian uh, sound engineer called Dougal Jays, Uh, he was working in a studio, so we paid for an eight hour studio date but Dougal arranged with his boss that it was okay for us to stay until nine o'clock the following morning so we had to do the whole album between you know Ten o'clock in the morning and nine o'clock the following morning, so we didn't leave the studio for twenty four hours, and we you know recorded the whole album. The only time we left the studio was to get more beer. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) So so, 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 I mean, I mean, some of the guitar solos that got recorded at five o'clock in the morning are a bit distinct. It will do, you know, it's getting to that
0: point you do say, I it'll do, you
1: know. I it'll do. But but also they have that particular derangedness which you, know, <laughs> you couldn't possibly get otherwise. I said, I'm a certain amount of sleep
0: deprivation or alcohol yeah. induced that kind of that yeah. <laughs> you know
1: whereas now with any any computer and you know, a sound card and a microphone, you can actually record music yourself. So I started doing that about 10, 12 years ago. You know, obviously, you know, with a with, with time, you get a bit better at it um, and end up, like, you know, investing in more toys. It's a dreadful... Essential point. equipment otherwise, yeah. you know. <laughs> no, those, that's what you tell your wife. Of you course, know? right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but of course, it's a black hole that you keep putting in. But, but, you know, o- over the years... You know, I've acquired a certain competence in that, which uh, I ended up being able to, uh, to 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 work on you know other people's records as well. The album I did with Tony Allen in Haiti was for uh, ended up being on the label Glitterbeat, and then they asked me to produce an album for a, a great uh, Tuareg band from the north of Mali called Crest. Uh, T- uh, uh, so, so that was the first. T- you know, I, I'd produced a bunch of stuff before, but it was always things that I was involved in myself, where. I knew a little bit more than the other guys, so therefore I was the producer. So <laughs> I was quite
0: kind of shocked. It's a bit like getting allowed the keys, you know. I mean, you're, kind of, you're the oldest I, I, guy here. You have the keys. You look more responsible than anybody I, I, else, you I, know. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like you know. So, so
1: then I get a phone call from from Chris Ekman, who's a you know a great musician and producer and the owners of a, a successful label. Uh, and he's like, "We want you to produce the new Tommy album." I was like, "What? What? Who? Me?" But I don't know how to do that. But he was like, "Yeah, we want we, we want you to do it." So, uh, so I find myself uh, arriving in a, a studio in Bamako with a you know a bunch of Tuareg Tuareg musicians from uh, Northern Mali you know, from the from the Sahara Desert. And I'm like, "Well, who the fuck are you?" <laughs> <laughs> so it was a weird. A few days of like you know, like, you know. Trying to find that middle ground, find that you know, circling each other, and and then eventually it was like, okay, you know, fair enough, fair enough, like you know, we find a you know way to work together, and it's like, okay, we trust you, I trust you, and and you know, we made a record, which you know, I think everybody was happy with. It was great for you know my 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 confidence that that you know that I was entrusted to do that, and that in the end that it was a it worked out that worked out well because uh, I remember when recording the the Albu Grillo ensemble album that, that it, was, it was myself Craig Ward, ex guitar player from Deus who were like uh, you know a huge, you know very successful band in Belgium. Jacoba Sissoko, who' was from a Agrio family in Mali who you know they are musicians for fifty generations. Um, Hannes Dwan studied uh, jazz and classical music at the uh, the Conservatory of Antwerp and David Odlum who had won a Grammy as an engineer and mixer and me who had uh, kind of learnt <laughs> playing on the streets in Galway and uh, in, uh, in Berlin it was uh, lots of very complicated arrangements uh, you know it was very difficult to play, it would take 15 takes before somebody didn't screw up and, like, you know, and if it's you who screws up, then you start having uh, a lot of paranoia, especially <laughs> when, you know, everybody else has a pedigree that you don't. <laughs>
0: you're, play, you're playing catch up a little bit, or at least that's yeah. how it feels then.
1: Well, that's how it feels, particularly, you know, when you're just sitting there with microphones pointed at you and it's two o'clock in the morning and you've been working for
0: 10 hours uh, and... Uh, oh shit, I've just screwed up that chord again. <laughs> <laughs> You've just done that face facepalm. That's exactly it, right? You know, because right. I think this is one of the kind of, the, the un, for anyone who's never really recorded in that sense, you know, you're going to a room with a bunch of other musicians and then you you don't have an unlimited budget, right? I mean, realistically, no. most of us, we have a time constraint, money constraint, and we have a certain kind of timeline to go by. There is a wee bit of pressure, I'm speaking for myself, it's a few years since I recorded anything in the studio and all that, but there's that kind of uh, wee bit of pressure you feel. The first time, it was quite good, quite, uh, it was just a great feeling. I don't know, we were on a bit of a crest of a wave and all that the band was at the time, it was just a really good vibe. The second time we did it, uh, we did it about six months later and we recorded an album in two days. So we went in on a Friday and we actually got it CDs at this time, so it's like 10 years ago or more. And uh, we got the uh, we got the CDs finished for the following Friday. So it was that quick because the, ba- the band were breaking up like two weeks later or something because a couple of guys were going back to Canada. But So there was a wee bit of pressure there, you know. Mm. And now when I listen to some of those tracks, which is now and then, I can hear some of the drums. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we did that on a bit of a budget, you know. It was kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah, no one will hear. It's fine. Don't worry about it, you know. So... There is that wee bit of pressure or however much pressure you want to put on yourself as well, you know, because you want to do your best, the best job you can for it.
1: Also on that, on on that record and a couple of other ones, uh, you know, because nowadays with, with all the technology, it's very easy to, okay, we'll just all do it separately. Okay, I'll do 10 takes of the guitar track and then we'll just chop together the best bits. But for, the, for that album, it was really important to us uh, we did it actually live with like real musicians in a real room. Uh, you know, we, we recorded it up in the, the Ford, up near uh, Kilmartin, uh, oh, on right. the west coast of Scotland. Yeah. And poor, poor Yakuba. I brought my, fr- my friend Yakuba uh, from Bamako to the west of Scotland in December, oh. <laughs> which was not very kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you
0: certainly remember it, that's for sure. We were
1: recording in uh, in Craig's house. Craig had a, a kind of guest house in, uh, uh, in, in Ford, brought Jakob over, and it wasn't that cold. I mean, uh, you know, speaking it's for us, cold, right? You <laughs> and I, was like, it's speak, not cold. Speak, speak, but, 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 you know, it wasn't freezing, Aye. but it rained, it rained, like as you know it can in the west of scotland without stopping for two weeks and at uh, uh, at the point yakuba said to me so you know my brother in your country the sky is so low that if you leave the house you have to lower your head <laughs> <laughs> it, i mean it was it was it was it rained so much that actually for 36 hours the village was actually isolated because all three roads into the village were flooded. When Proper rain. We, hit, we, we luckily we had sufficient quantities of booze. But, but I mean, but but Yakuba didn't even drink because he's a Muslim. Though.
0: <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. Um, I guess this is with the shoes are another foot as well. I mean, when you were when you were there and you were.
1: I mean, it was important that it was a return match. Like, Yacouba came over to Scotland and we brought the, 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 the Europeans over to uh, uh, to Bamako as well uh, a month or two later. And we recorded the album in west of Scotland, Bamako, and also a session in Paris with Tony Allen. Fantastic.
0: Where can we find that album, Or What was the name of it again? The, the band was called Alba Grio
1: Ensemble. The album's called The Darkness Between the Leaves. And it's you know it's it's released on World Music Network and available on all
0: platforms, etc. I'll put that in some of the notes then, and we'll have a wee listen to that because it sounds like a real treat. Uh,
1: no, no, that, that's an album that I'm 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 really
0: really proud of. I mean, you know, unfortunately, of course, nobody bought it. as is the case with most. <laughs> different- <laughs> you you've, just, you've <laughs> just let the cat out of the bag, you know. <laughs> you know it's uh, yeah. I mean, this is the. The life of a troubadour and all that, eh? Yeah. uh, (laughs) Uh, Because I saw on the bio that you'd sent me that there was a plan for a new record sometime this year. Is it it going to plan?
1: Well, I mean, uh, I had planned to get it together for around now, but given the the fact that touring and so forth isn't possible, kind of put it back a little bit. The, The album is... It's some new recordings kind of mixed up with various things that I did over the years. You know, some stuff from uh, from Mali. Uh, there's a couple, couple of songs that I recorded with Tony Allen in in Paris a few years ago. Uh, some stuff that I did last year in uh, in the States with my friend Sean Condren and a couple of other friends. So it, when I say it's a, so, a solo album, it's um, obviously with. Tons of other people, but uh, solo in the sense that it's not with a fixed group of other people. Now, as I say, a couple of songs recorded with Tony Allen and uh, uh, a couple of other people in a session in Paris a few years ago. There's stuff with Tomani Diabati in, in Bamako and other Malian musicians like Madhu Diabati, uh, Pamela Bajogo uh, who's a great Gabonese uh, singer who's now based in France. And uh, uh, Lassa Adjabati, the great balafon player, and then other stuff that I recorded. I, I went went to the, uh, uh, went to the states uh, in January last year. I was uh, invited to do a, a concert at the Folk Alliance uh, Festival in uh, New Orleans in January last year. So uh, I did that with my friend Sean Condren, and we ended up uh, doing a bunch of recordings in uh, back up in New York afterwards. Uh, so it's a, it's a kind of mixture, mixture of new and old recordings and uh, uh, um, new and old songs, you know, for example, on, on the, the sessions in the States. We, we, you know, we did, did one of my songs, which uh,
0: I wrote about 30 years ago, but it's never actually been on an album. So it has a new lease of life in this respect, all right? It has a life now.
1: Yeah, and it's it's funny how song, songs have their moments. On, on many of the albums that I've done, you know, old songs can sort of resurface that uh, you know something that you wrote that was never didn't quite fit at the time and then it finds its context so that you know the song that's uh, probably the, the kind of the, the obvious single from the album is a song that I wrote 30 years ago which never ended up on an album and then there's a there's a version which is like you know, that, that that's kind of the obvious obvious single from it. I've got you know a couple another one which you know came from like 15 or 20 years ago but there was a kind of missing element and I found the missing element and then it's was like okay well that works and I had I had a, a kind of quite a large pool of songs that were kind of kicking about uh that that, that had, hadn't really found their place so I kind of narrowed it down to a dozen songs or so that uh that that kind of seemed to make sense together and since i've kind of been doing it all myself up till now um my friend david odlam mm-hmm. who great producer and uh, engineer from ireland uh who i worked with on the alba Grio ensemble album and also on the tammy crest album Um david's going to help me kind of knock it into shape because uh at a certain point when you've been doing everything yourself you need uh, a fresh set of right. letters, uh, to say okay that's good and that's right and uh, you know so it's, it's not too samey yeah.
0: or you're just kind of yeah. good over yeah. the same yeah yeah exactly yeah. at yeah.
1: a, a, cer- a certain point you have to say okay well I've taken it as far as I can myself and I need somebody else's help to 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 put it and knock it into shape so um David's gonna help take care of all of that
0: Mark, it's been an absolute blast. Um, uh, it's been nice to kind of uh, to say I quite a lot and use other kind of words <laughs> that other people might have some difficulty with. But I think between the two of us, our accents have been quite. Uh, I wouldn't say polished over the years, but they've been. Uh, yeah, the, the rough edges have been maybe buffed out a wee bit.
1: I mean, that, that this is the thing about being expatriated, particularly from our part of the country, is that you tend to kind of. Uh, Refine, polish your accent. <laughs> when you start having a couple of drinks and speaking to a, a, a fellow native, um, then my, my accent may have come back a bit stronger than usual when talking to
0: French or German people. So, <laughs> if, if nothing else, sir, it has been an absolute pleasure. For me, also. Uh, I wish you all the best going forward. Uh, fingers crossed, we get back to gigs. Uh, some anytime soon would be nice, but you know, whenever it's whenever the time is right and uh, good luck with the release whenever that comes out later this Great. year too thank you
1: very much thank you very much and uh, good luck with the, the podcast and thank you very much for the, the invitation pleasure was all
0: mine. much cheers <laughs> cheers you can follow can't find my way home Instagram at can home on Facebook at expat music pod and of course you can find us on Spotify, Anchor.fm Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts from you'll find us there Until the next one, this is Greg saying Cheers